It is episode 98 of the Sims and Lefko podcast, and look who has fallen from the sky and into our laps. Uh, it is producer Josh Fedrick hey, back everybody. in the fold. A.K.A. Johnny food poisoning himself. That's nah, me. Yeah, he came out and told me about it. You got food poisoning on Sunday. We all Sunday hung out night, Saturday. Yeah. Right. Sunday night, food poisoning. I'm blaming it on Sunday brunch. I'm okay, though. Yeah, because he had corned beef. Pastrami. Sunday brunch. Pastrami. So he had pastrami. Who eats pastrami at brunch? Sounds disgusting. Yeah. Have you ever had pastrami in your life? Uh, I have, but it's, I mean, maybe once. Yeah. Negative, Ghost Rider. Uh, brunches for eggs. Brunches? French toast. I know. Brunch? That's what you wanted to go with? And they had a pastrami sandwich on the menu. Everyone was raving about it. I tried to go a little different. Where was this? Go uh, uh, a little different. That's like the most typical Jewy thing ever. Pastrami at brunch? We just had a discussion about how no one eats pastrami at brunch. Was it a sandwich or I mean, was it like a pastrami It was a sandwich. Hash. It was a sandwich. All right. Calm down. It was a sandwich. God. How, how Jewish of you? Uh, extremely. Extremely. <laughs> how, how, along uh, with the rest of my life, Chris. How sick were you? It wasn't good. It was uh, about halftime of Steelers Chiefs. I yeah, you uh, said he blacked out. <laughs> yeah, I went. I just went really fuzzy at halftime of the game. Got off the couch. And you didn't miss just, much. You just missed Andy Reid doing Andy Reid. I know. And then I was, you know, in and out of the bathroom for the next eight hours. And then here I am. You've weak. lost five pounds. I know. I, I definitely. Oh, I, I thought it was the haircut. No, well, that too. Yeah, no, but he he's lost some. He's lost five pounds. It weak, is, but I have returned. It is uh, episode ninety-eight. I want to give a shout out to Darwin Walker. I missed him at ninety-seven. My friend Dan was upset about. That. That 98. What do you got for me, Sims? Man, I didn't even think about this. LaTroy Guion. I literally one. said before you got here, I said <laughs> one of my favorite things in the podcast is each week I go, what do you got for me, Sims? You go, man, didn't even think about this. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. 98s, I mean, uh, what else? We got Tyrone Crawford of the Cowboys, yes. LaTroy Guion. Yeah, who else can uh, you get before I go on let a Let me montage. see, 98s, Trey Flowers. Just thinking yes. about the 98s this weekend. These and then uh, let me just think if there's one on the Falcons. I don't think there is a 98 on the Falcons. So, and there's a, oh, 98 on the Steelers is Vince Williams. Well, I would say one of the most famous 98s is on the Steelers, and that's Casey Hampton. Oh, Big uh, Ham, my college teammate. Really? Yeah. He, his head was always so big in Madden. I, I don't know how he wore a helmet. Like, he was one of those guys where his face was, like, pushing out of his helmet. One of the strongest pound-for-pound pound players I've ever been with in my life. Linval Joseph, Robert Mathis, Car- Connor Barwin, Star Lutalele, Devin Taylor, Brian Arakbo, and Brandon Williams. Those are some good ones. Um, we are going to have Peter King on in about, what, three, four minutes, five minutes? Uh, and we can kind of go over a bunch of things there. But, um, man, uh, I... I <laughs> Those games went exactly kind of how we expected. And right. the one game that we thought was a toss-up was Kansas City-Pittsburgh. Yes. Um, my friend Dan texted me right afterwards and goes, that's why I don't miss Andy Reid. It's unbelievable the amount of clock management issues that he has had over the years. And it's, it's always the guys, Ben McAdoo had one in this playoffs, that are face deep in the play sheet. Right. And then Alex Smith is up there and he's going, I got to call a timeout. They're, they're, it's ridiculous, the timeout usage. And then just how long that drive took at the end of the game. It was just like New England. The it really playoff. was. You know, speed up the process. Give yourself another chance in case you don't get the two-point conversion. They hamstring themselves to where it's like, oh, that's it. This is your only chance. You better make it happen or that's it. Yeah, and to everyone that's saying that the Steelers shouldn't have won because they didn't score any touchdowns, they were the dominant team the entire time. Le'Veon Bell did whatever he wanted. Pretty much, yes. By the way, I didn't realize that your dad calls him the great hesitator. I, I like that. It's a good nickname. I didn't realize that either. Read in an article. But but the other thing that's, uh, you know, just to take away from the Kansas City game, too, uh, I mean, there was plenty of plays there to present themselves to have control of the football game. 
uh, whether Kelsey catches the ball down the middle. Can't tell you how many times he missed Kelsey down the middle, wide open, and I know the read. Did you see that one Tyree right. Kill play? Tyree Kill down the middle. Wide Chris open. Chris Conley at the end when he like breaks his back. Did he regress to old Alex Smith there? Uh, I think he, yeah, I th- really, he played one of his worst games of the year. What did you mean when things. you said you know the read? I mean, I know those plays. Like, those are basic West Coast plays, so I know the rules according to the coverages. And a few of them, like, his rule was to go to Tyree Kill down the middle, wide open for a touchdown. And he be- he was Charlie Checkdown on Sunday night. Once again, he struck. Once Charlie Checkdown strikes again. Uh, you know who didn't Charlie Checkdown? Aaron freaking Rodgers. Uh, we were just walking around the office, and it felt good. Um, it does feel good. I uh, mean, it just feels good that I, I just feel like people are realizing. So um, I, w- I want to say this. We're going to talk more about Brady and Rodgers later. But for me, it's been the ongoing, I think, theme of this podcast since its inception is Aaron Rodgers is top three quarterback of all time, and maybe Brady is too. Right. But you really shouldn't compare the two because one is the system and one is a part of the system. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I, I read some quotes in the in the New York Times after the game that I thought speak to this. Right. Um, first one is Jared, Jared Cook. Okay. Because it was incredible after I watched that game. The amount of people that were texting me or I saw on Twitter talking about how great of a catch it was by Jared Cook. <laughs> and when you really watch it, no, it, it, was, it was Aaron Rodgers rolling out to his left, throwing across his body 40 yards and putting it right where his hands are. Jared, Jared Cook put his hands in front of his chest and caught it? Jared what a Cook's, great catch. Jared Cook's quote was, a perfect throw leading me across the field to where I can catch the ball and still be in bounds. You almost can't explain that talent except that he does it all the time. Then the quote from Clay Matthews, no game is over until Aaron has thrown his last pass. So now you know the kind of confidence. We said that a little bit with Stafford and the Lions, but Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. And then the last one was Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett said, someday they'll be talking about Rodgers as one of the top three quarterbacks who ever laced them up. To ever lace them up. And then he laughed to continue the quote and goes, <laughs> you know, someone, someone this week asked me, you know, what, what do you do with Aaron Rodgers? He's been really hot the last eight, eight weeks. And he goes, you know what was dumb about that question? I said, no, he's not been hot since the last eight weeks. He's been hot since 2008. Like, mm. what do you – I mean, Ezekiel Elliott's quotes. I mean, yes. he, the way they all – Aaron Rodgers, when you see him in person on the field, it is a different animal than anybody that has ever played the quarterback position. Peter King is joining us from the MMQB and a longtime friend of the podcast. Uh, I'm curious, Peter, is it okay that it's like four days later and we still can't get over Aaron Rodgers? Hey, I I sat there, guys, yesterday. uh, I had my Wednesday column to write, and in the newspaper slash internet business, especially the internet business the way it is now, you don't write about old news, but I said, I don't care. I cannot get that throw out of my mind. I can't believe that a right-handed passer can run to his left and can look downfield and then uh, can sort of uh, take his time. And then while still moving without setting his feet, can throw a ball 37 yards in the air to a postage stamp size of a target. And it's just all shocking to me. I just think that I don't care what Aaron Rodgers says. I don't. He says that's not the greatest throw, and he poo-pooed the thought that it even is close. Well, all I can say is this. I will take that throw over any Aaron Rodgers throw in his life 
and I am positive that that's the best throw he's ever made. He might not feel this way, but when you have an opportunity to win a playoff game and to propel your team to the championship game with one absolutely impossible throw, and you make it with three seconds left in a game to send your team to the championship game, uh, is that is that goes far beyond any of the other throws, which, by the way, and I've heard this throw, a lot of other throws in Rodgers' life compared to saying, oh, well, this throw was bigger, that throw was bigger. No throw had the degree of difficulty even that compares to this. Yes. And so I just think, and, and Chris, you, you were on my podcast uh, two, three weeks ago, and we were talking about it, and your dad feels the same way. I just, I'm in awe of what he did in that game and really what he's done over the second half of this season. Yeah, it's, uh, it is remarkable. I mean, he's, an, he's, a, you know, and like me, I know I think he's the greatest quarterback ever, but I'm just glad that it's, it's in, he's in the conversation now. People are actually going, you know what? You're right. He does deserve to be in the conversation with the Bradys and the Mannings and the Favs. So I find that refreshing. Yeah, why has it taken so long, though, for that to be validated? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, what do you think about that, Peter? Well, because is it just the rings thing? The, no, I I think that's part of it. I think that if you if you're Joe Montana and you've played in four Super Bowls and you've won them all, and in addition to that, in 1989 you had the best season a quarterback ever had in the first 70 years of the NFL. I mean, he won passer rating title that year by eight. Points, yes, <laughs> you know, and so, so you know, it's we, it's it's really hard to be kind of a prisoner of the moment and to say this guy is the greatest, that guy is the greatest. He's he should be in the conversation, but I can't put him in the conversation. I can't I can't say he's the greatest quarterback ever, you know, because I think part of being the greatest quarterback ever, and I know that. People in our business poo-poo this all the time. I'm sorry, I don't. Quarterback wins matter, and I'm one of the uh, I'm one of the few people in my business who believe that. But I fervently believe. And and Chris, I'm going to tell you a story about your father. You may know, you may not know this. Okay. But this says it. This says it all, and is the reason why I believe quarterback wins matter. Okay. In 1984, I think it was, your dad threw for 4,044 yards, yes. uh, which was huge. That's like a 5,500-yard season right yeah, now. Right. Okay. Right. I mean, that was, that, was, that was 33 years ago. Yeah, that's so, scary. So, oh, my gosh. So, so, so he, he had a ridiculous life. year. And the next year, Bill Parcells told him, you know, he had, I think, Rob Carpenter, Joe Morris. Right. He had a great running game in 1985. Yes. Okay. And he had this great running game and he told, he went up like in training camp or sometime in the off season. He says, Hey Sims, he says, you aren't going to have any kind of year like you had last year. And the mean, you know, his meaning was we're going to run, run and run. Right. And that year I'm just guessing, I think your father might've thrown for 3000, but it might've only been like 2,800. So everybody said, man, what happened to Sims? Well, Phil Sims did. He's just like Tom Brady. Whatever the coach tells him to do, he's going to do it. Yes. He's going to be happy. If that helps his team win, they're going to that's what they're going to do. No so doubt. so to me, to me, I think that that you know, you have to look at 
how far you take your team, how important you are to the team. And, you know, winning games as a quarterback, sometimes it isn't pretty, but you've got to do what the coaches say is the best for you guys to have a chance to win. Peter, on your website, MMQB, Jenny Varentis had a great piece today that really contacted a bunch of old patriots and coaches and talked about why Brady's ability to take criticism. What about me? Was I in there? You were not in it. What? I didn't make the cut. I talked to this girl for 30 minutes on the phone. You did not make the cut. (laughs) That's funny. You really didn't know that? Damn her. (laughs) No, she's amazing. I know she is. She's cool. Uh, No, but it was a whole thing about how Brady's demeanor. Well, look, you're not bigger than Randy Moss. Sorry. Uh, his ability to take criticism. And in that, it talked about how Bill watched Parcells doing this to your father, Phil Sims, and how that sort of taken and how everyone's accountable because of that. And here's the issue that Sims and I always debate is Rogers is the system. Brady's ability to take all this, in addition to his ability, created the perfect system. And it's funny because when I look at the two quarterback matchups, Ben and Rodgers are very similar, and Ryan and Brady are very similar. And our, our job is so much about comparing quarterbacks, no matter what era, yeah. no matter what legacy. So how do you compare someone that has to do everything by himself, like Rodgers, and someone like Brady, who is insanely talented, is beyond driven, but is also part of a bigger cog yeah that's a really good question i you know when we were talking about stories we were going to do for the playoffs uh we talked about this at length and i told jenny that i remember distinctly how hard bill parcells coached phil sims and i said tom brady is in the exact same boat yes and the one thing that i really admire about brady is you see him on the sidelines and he's speaking to Josh McDaniels like he's a peer, not like he's uh, not like he's beneath him. Right. He's you know, like, like he's, one of, he's part of the coaching staff. Yeah. And that he's and that he is really capable of helping Brady. So, in other words, that's when you know that the coach quarterback relationship is a good one. But 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 just the larger point that that you that you make here is that. I mean, I think the singular player in uh, among the quarterbacks in these playoffs basically is Aaron Rodgers and how important he's going to be in the game against Atlanta is magnified by the fact that okay, so Atlanta if you count Brian Poole, their third corner uh you know, who's the undrafted free agent, seven of their top 12 defensive players, seven of their top seven of their 12 starters. And I use that word in quotes because now, in my opinion, because the nickel corner basically plays, or the third corner plays 65% of the time anyway, at right. least. So seven of their 12 starters are in their first or second year. They came when Dan Quinn, since Dan Quinn's come. And so just remember this. This is, this is such a different Atlanta defense than it was even a year ago, but certainly two years ago. And to me, what happens in this game right now is that it isn't Aaron Rodgers' speed, okay? It It is his nimbleness that's going to allow him to make plays in this game because without any question whatsoever, you know, he's going to get chased out of the pocket a lot. You saw, I mean, they, they pressured or sacked Russell Wilson 27 times in that game. And this, it's the same thing that's going to happen, but what's going to help Rodgers is his ability, you know, as Rich, Rich talking to Rich Gannon this week, he's, he's the best 
player, best quarterback on on the move and out of the pocket he thinks in NFL history. And so right now, the Atlanta Falcons can't just be satisfied with chasing Aaron Rodgers out of the pocket. They have to be intent on hitting him, touching him, and, and making sure that you know he doesn't complete plays. I wanted to ask him about the AFC Championship game. Really, yeah. that's where I wanted to go with it. Just, just the things that jump out to you. What's, what's the the storyline to you? Steelers, Patriots, Belichick, Tomlin, Brady, Roethlisberger. Like what? Julian you know, Edelman calling out Antonio Brown. The right. Well, you know what? Yeah. What's, what what what's jumps really to you? I, th- I think what is really interesting about the game is, okay. So think think about this for a second. Okay. Look at the look at the running back. Okay, so Garrett Blunt and 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 uh, you know and Dion Lewis right. have been. I mean, I really like sort of the combination, but I think anybody would say coming into this game, I like Pittsburgh's running game a little bit more. Right. Okay. You certainly would like Pittsburgh's uh, receivers a little bit more, uh, and you probably probably would like their offensive line a little bit more. So, I mean, to me, this is about Tom Brady being able to lift his team over an offense that is, in my opinion, significantly more skilled. And, you know, so I I think that is what I'm going to be looking for. I I keep thinking that I want to pick Pittsburgh, but there's something about picking against Brady and picking against uh, a really good short yardage back in this game and Garrett Blunt. So I probably would pick New England. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, All right. there's, I, there's I, too I, many questions I have with Pittsburgh in general. I have two more non-playoff questions, and I, I kind of want to get through them quickly. One, I'm literally looking on social media right now, and I'm seeing that the Chargers held a rally in Los Angeles, and there's like a fight in the stands because there's all these other Chargers fans that came up there. Uh, Peter, I, I'm, I, I understand that this is business. I understand that owners want to make money. I'm looking at two franchises in L.A. that don't look like they're going to be successful right away. I'm looking at two of what might be the most selfish owners in the NFL that are there. Am I crazy to think that this is going to be a really rough patch and they had to get it right early on with L.A., and I don't know if they're going to get it right in L.A.? L.A. wants winners. From December 1st till the end of the year, the Rams and the Chargers were 0-10. I mean, it, it might not be just unsuccessful. It might be a debacle of the highest degree. And uh, I agree with you. I don't understand uh, the absolute rush to put two teams in Los Angeles. Uh, If I had been the owner of the San Diego Chargers, I would have said, we're going to go to Mission Valley, where the Qualcomm project is. We're going to find a spot there. We're going to build a new stadium there for a lot less money than it costs downtown. And we may have to do some environmental impact. Uh, remediation, which is clearly something they would have to do, but but be that as it may, I would want to stay where my uh, where people love me. I wouldn't want to stay. I wouldn't want to go where people didn't care about me. And that's where the Chargers are right now. It's the city of indifference. And you, they are, they're going there. And, yeah. and, and you think the Raiders are going to Vegas too? Just why we're on the subject? I mean, you think that's yes. pretty much a done deal? The Raiders will go unless. Unless something blows up with that stadium, 
The Raiders right. are going to Vegas. Okay. Uh, and then my other thing was, I, I said this about a week or two ago, about how I'm really interested to see with social media and players' availability of speaking to the fans, which we've always said is the mission of the media. Uh, and then we see this with Antonio Brown on Facebook Live, and obviously there is uh, rules and regulations with the NFL, and he was punished, and the team came out and said all these things. How And we see, see things like the Players' Tribune, and we see things like Uninterrupted, and we have, I know that you guys have had multiple times on your website, first-person accounts from players. How do you see, and the one thing that hasn't changed in the last few decades is player leaves field, player goes on podium, uh, media lobs questions at player, player answers. How I, I can really see this going to a part where the players have all the control and they could launch their own brands and go, like Marshawn did, follow me on AntonioBrown.com. Follow me on AntonioBrown.com. Well, he here's, go, how do we avoid that? Uh, here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line in all of this. Okay? Players essentially have a lot of power, and players should have power. They're the ones that everybody goes to see. And if players want to do things like that, I mean, look, in 2013... I went to uh, Richard Sherman. I flew to Seattle and I went to Richard Sherman who wasn't really all that well known yet. And I said to him, I said, listen, you'd be able to control a lot of your message going into your free agency walk years. um, And you'd be able to control a lot of that yourself. Why don't you do this? And I propose that he do, you know, maybe seven to 10 columns a year for us. And that's when Sherman exploded. I think a lot of that came from writing for us and basically being able to control his message and write what he wanted. Okay. And so what ended up happening was what ended up happening was Richard Sherman, you know, found some, some power in his own voice right? and in controlling his own voice. So if players want to do that, that's fine. The thing that is, to me, is most bothersome about Antonio Brown and that thing is that the coach is speaking to the team. Yes. And you've got these clowns back there looking like the most self-absorbed millennials in the history of mankind. (laughs) Well, you haven't been to Bleacher Report. Or whatever it is. You need to come over. I'll show you a few over here. (laughs) I was... was, I, I was blown away by that. I'm I mean, with you. It, it, I, I just was blown away by it. And to me, I was glad to see Mike Tomlin come out strong. More coaches should be willing publicly to say that. Like, I think Ben McAdoo should have said that stuff about Odell Beckham Jr. this year. Yes. But, but I was, I, I mean, I mean, look, Antonio Brown deserved it. And players can have their own power. But there's a rule. 90 minutes after the game, you can't do that stuff. Um, and so, you know, I hope he gets fined and, and that, well, whatever, I, I hope the league does something about it because that takes away Antonio Brown, any Antonio Brown motivation to explain anything to the media after the game and thus explain to the fans after the game, instead of just whoever follows him on Facebook. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think that's the thing that bothered me, too, just the most, is we're, we're old school. Like, oh, you mean my boss is talking? Let me go be front and center and listen to yeah. him. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there on that take, and I hope the NFL does hit him where it hurts. Hey, man, uh, we're going to run. We appreciate you uh, stopping by, Peter. As I mean, always, you're the man. Okay, good. 
You're the best. Good being on with you guys. Thank you. All right. So your pick, oh, just so we know, though, your pick. Oh, uh, see you later. <laughs> Damn it. He got uh, his own show to do. Yes, he does. Hold on. Why were you shaking your head? Josh, you never do that during interviews. I was just shaking my head because I would argue, <coughs> excuse me, that the reason Richard Sherman blew up was because he just turned into the best quarterback. And in because the, he said best Colin corner. Kaepernick. Yeah, and the Seahawks won a Super Bowl in two thousand in the 2013 season. Yeah, uh, so there were two questions I asked. I love Peter. There were two questions I asked I didn't get the answer to. One was, how do we compare the system guy, and he started talking about the Falcons' defense, uh, the system guy to the guy that is the system. Do you agree, though, that it seems like it's the matchup? Ryan and, and uh, Rogers Brady and, are, the, are the system Rogers guys. Rodgers and Roethlisberger are backyard school yeah. quarterbacks. Like, it, it's, yeah, that's the so way. it's Kyle Shanahan versus Rodgers, and it's Belichick versus Ben this Count, week. Pretty much. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is um, I wanted to ask you. Do you First of all, you got to remember, Peter loves the New England Patriots. So he has a hard time ever saying anything bad about yeah, Brady, yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Like, I've been face-to-face in these conversations, and I could tell he's hurt when I tell him Aaron Rodgers is better. Like, it hurts him. Really? It really does. Uh, uh, and this is the other thing. Just to say this, just about his evaluation of the game. And this is where I think a lot of people are wrong. Like, he, he talked about Pittsburgh-New England matchup, but I'm not sitting here trying to, like, disprove Peter King. Peter King knows a lot of stuff yes. that's going on in football, and he understands the game. But he, the one thing that stuck out to me, he goes, the weapons of Pittsburgh versus the weapons of New England. They're about even, other than Le'Veon I Bell would, is the best. I would trade New England's weapons. I, there's no doubt. So I would, would rather take have Edelman, Bennett, Dion Lewis, Hogan, Legarrette Blunt over who? Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Is that the only? Well, I don't know. Le'Veon's like three of those guys. Okay, but still, it's it's. I By the way, this is to me the most impressive Rodgers throw, and it didn't even count. This was the play against the Bears. I think it was earlier this season where Rodgers drops back, rolls right, makes a defender miss, then goes left, throws it, gets chopped in half, and then throws a touchdown. That was, that was last year. That was last year, right. and he got called a hold. That is the best Rodgers throw in my opinion, and it never even counted. I don't know. It's hard to put anything over the Hail Rodgers. By the way, Hail Rodgers. Apparently, when he competed on uh, Celebrity Jeff. I read an article that said another guy was an astronaut, and right. he actually spent time talking to the astronaut about how Mary passes and about trajectory and weather. Yeah. And he said in that game he factors all those things, whether it's cold, he could put it front, middle, back of the end zone. It, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, the other thing I wouldn't even say any of those are his greatest throws. Like first of all, this stadium in Dallas. He's got, like, the five greatest throws in the history of that stadium because the Super Bowl he was there and they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers oh, there, there wasn't a receiver open the whole game, and all he did is throw it through the keyhole, like, all game long. Uh, and I'm going to tell you that you didn't have to ask Peter King who his pick was because Quincy here at the office has a theory. I, he, said, what do you th-? He, said, he said, I think it's going to be Steelers-Falcons in the Super Bowl. I said, really? He goes, you're probably picking Packers-Patriots. I said, why'd you do that? He said, because every white guy is picking Packers-Patriots, and every black guy is picking Steelers-Falcons. I said, you're, you're being serious. Like, this is not a joke. I said, I'm picking it because I want to see Bill Belichick trying to stop Aaron Rodgers. That's why I want to see that Super Bowl. He goes, that makes sense. He goes, no, I think it's just Rodgers and Belichick. He goes, Atlanta is like the black capital of the nation, and the Steelers have a black head coach, which means a lot to me. Sure. And I said, that's really interesting. He, I said, you really think there's a racial divide here? He goes, I really do. He goes, yeah. ask around. All the white guys are saying Packers Patriots. Do you think there's anything to that? I've never even thought about that for one second. First of all, bo- all four teams are majority black. I mean, so let's just come on. I mean, yeah. for it's eighty. But that's why I was joking. I was, you don't have to ask Peter King. He's taking Packers <laughs> Patriots. Uh, so that's interesting, though. Just so you know, 
I'm picking the Patriots and the Falcons to win the game. Just so you know, right now we're doing pickups. Wow. I'm going Patriots Man. Falcons. How are you going to ruin the rest of the show? The, the hell with the rest of the show. <laughs> Let's shut talk. it down, people. Thanks for listening. We'll see you for 99. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I good think episode, guys. It's really good. So I'm half black, half white. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just I found that interesting because I think the main reason that people are picking Patriots Packers is we have a fascination with quarterbacks, and I think Brady Rogers lights up the billboard more than Ben Rogers or Brady Ryan. It just does. Yeah. Um, because it, Rogers, what he's been doing has been absolutely incredible. I just yeah. thought that was interesting. He just literally brought that up to me. It and is I went, I've never heard that before. It is interesting. Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, what else did you think about what Peter said, Josh? I thought it was all pretty interesting. Yeah. What, what is it going to take? By the way, players, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to give you step and repeats with AntonioBrown.com or LeveonBell.com. We're going to wait 90 minutes. You're going to go and do your media, and you're going to go check out AntonioBrown.com. And As then the afterwards, I will be the person that asks you questions in case it's not going right. But we're going to use Facebook Live and Instagram Live, and you're going to go on there, and you're really going to connect with your fans. Because you know, actually, I just read as well what Antonio Brown was doing while they waited him on the podium. Yeah. He was Snapchatting his haircut. I know that it annoys you. That instance was really bad yeah. because you don't disrespect Tomlin or Ben like that. Right. But for anyone Tremendous saying that social power. media is a problem, I have the New York Times right here where it's talking about yellow taxis are not are going away because of Uber. And I also it's a read big problem. Well, no, you, okay. Look, <laughs> there was a guy in the '90s that bought a Blockbuster and said, "My family's set up for life." If you do not think that times change and technology just completely erases professions. Wayne Huizinga? Was that what you're talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Blockbuster? No, I was just. Oh. What? <laughs> but my main, Wayne Huizinga owned Blockbuster Video. My main point was this. Yes. The media will eventually be replaced. It will be. Because. Yes. Will you write good stories? Will people clamor for that? Sure. But the access after the games. I'm telling you, man, technology ruins all forms of media. Mm-hmm. It does. It really does. And all forms of all life. T- taxis <laughs> replaced horse and buggies. They, there was a time where they thought, nothing's going to replace this. I'm going to be set. We see the vanishing of industry all the time when it comes to technology. Sure. And I really believe that journalism and writing and reporting and all that has been the same since, like, the 20s. It hasn't changed at all. Media, and, and I really think that's partially... I have a lot of theories right now about Trump, but I do think that it's going to lead to a lot of great journalism because I don't think there was great journalism in politics for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's like, I have a purpose. I think we're going to get better politicians because smarter people feel the need to step up. And I don't think journalism and all that stuff has been shaken. I don't think memes, I don't think social media is what's going to change it, but I do think direct access from players to fans is going to completely change the industry. And I think that a lot of people were shaken and shocked by Antonio Brown's selfishness. It's the future. And the NFL can can put 90-minute spans so that you can't do this right away and all that stuff. I watched Marshawn Lynch say, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Yeah. And he might be the smartest marketing player that the NFL has seen in the last 10, 15 years. You know why? Marshawn Lynch is launching TV shows all over the place. And that's all these players care about. So... He didn't talk about it. I wanted to talk about it. No, I think because if you don't see point. things change, you will get caught up in a lack of change. That's what I think is going to happen. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I don't. I just let me don't ask, know. Let me ask my media cohort yeah. here. Josh, what do you think? 
Uh, I agree with you, but I do think that the NFL can do its best to protect the media and protect its right holders who rely on that stuff to generate content by doing things like the 90 minutes after the game. Like, do you think that he would actually be able to go up to that podium and get away with standing there and just saying, I saw it at the Super Bowl. No, no, I understand that Marshawn Lynch did it, but if all of the players start doing that, you don't think that the NFL is going to come up with a way to make them talk about things? Yes. That they can just go there and just say go to AntonioBrown.com repeatedly for an entire press conference? Yeah, then they're going to have to sit in on the AntonioBrown.com press conference. The Antonio Brown thing, I don't even know what to think about it. Like, cause it, it really does. It pisses me off in a lot of ways. Uh, I almost want like karma to come back and bite him and go, you don't deserve the attention of the Super Bowl because you need attention at every, every cost all the time. You need attention. But at the same time, I don't know, that's also the Steelers, and they kind of thrive in that kind of environment. And they're one team that I, I honestly don't think they're going to be distracted by this one bit. They're gonna g- they'll get closer together. They'll find a way to form this to like what we saw today with Big Ben saying to Julian Edelman, you know, our trophy cases, our Super Bowl trophies show what we, uh, what we are exactly. as a team. So uh, it might bring them together and make really for a little bit more of a bitter, bitter rivalry in the game. I actually read an article that Mike Lombardi, our good friend, yep. it was about leadership and stuff. And one of the things that it said in there that I think goes to the feeling sometimes of the Steelers was that if you don't have a belief of what you want to become as a team, it's hard to communicate. Then all of a sudden you become an independent contractor and your team is really just a bunch of independent contractors. And that's why I think that Facebook Live was so unsettling was – Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger are up there pouring out their souls. And Ben, is he did not play a good game, but he went up there and he said that we are going to the lion's den. Stay off social media. Get away. And I don't think Antonio Brown heard any of that, except Le'Veon Bell turned around and said, stay off social media. And then and Antonio Brown captured that. My issue is not about bringing Facebook Live into the locker room. I really don't care. But at least be listening. You know, that, that's the thing. I, yes. But that's Antonio Brown. It is. And He's like that. Yeah, it's Antonio Brown. And it's the Steelers a little bit, too. They let their players get away with that a little bit. What All were right. you going to say before you, you started to say, what is it going to take? And then you what, stopped What talking. is it going to take for somebody to give Julian Edelman some credit as a good receiver? Oh, I just don't even get it. I don't, I don't get it. I just don't. Julian Edelman is like the slightest less version of Antonio Brown. But nobody wants to give him credit. It's that close. It's not that far off. I mean, so so Antonio Brown goes for 106 receptions uh, for 1,284 yards. Okay, and he's got the best downfield thrower of the football in the NFL throwing to him this year. Julian Edelman has eight less catches for 1,106 yards, but they're stratospheres apart. I don't really understand why. I just... I d- well, I mean, the first thing is white and black. I, no doubt about it. That that I and I get but this that. has been Julian Edelman for his entire career. I just don't get it. Like, You've I, always said when they had Julian Edelman and Gronk and all that, people say Brady doesn't have weapons, and you go, Edelman's a stud. Gronk is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Gronk is the greatest tight end of all time. Martellus Bennett is a top five tight end. See, this is league. why I've come off as a Brady hater, just because of this crap. Because I just it's, it has nothing to do with Brady. It's just it's stupid and ignorant to think Deion Lewis isn't like. One of the best receiving running backs in football. Mm. And Julian Edelman isn't good. And Chris, Chris Hogan is better than the second-round pick, Robert Woods, that they decide to let him go out the door because they drafted Robert Woods out of USC. 
And he wore number two, and he looked cool in school. So we yeah. got to keep him. I think I think a lot of it is the optics. I think what he looks like, and and not, and just also his size and demeanor and all that I mean, stuff. No, Michael Floyd's on there. I just don't get it. Like no weapons. I just it's so disrespectful to the. I, I still think we go back to the year in which he had like Rache Caldwell, and and you had guys like David no Gibbons doubt. and stuff. Right. And we always think about that Patriots team and go, he can win with anybody. Yeah. And we can't get that notion out of our head that. Oh yeah, it was only Randy Moss. It wasn't just Randy Moss on the team. It was no. Wes Welker. I no. mean, it was it's incredible. It was Troy Brown, who was really Gronk. good. I mean, it was Ben Watson, who had a thousand yard receiving a year ago. Yeah, that might be it. You don't you don't have an issue with the system. You don't have an issue with Brady. It's really that. There, people only focus on Belichick and Brady, That's it. and they don't talk about the Josh McDaniels and the great minds that they've had in there. Malcolm they don't, Butler is being one of the five best corners in football. People are, just, and partly is because of New England. They don't pub their own players, so he can keep the salary cap number down. Mm. He doesn't want them to be too popular because then they're going to ask for a lot of money. Well, it's really funny in that Jenny Vrentes article they talk about how Brady threw was throwing a ton of balls to Dion Branch in one of the practices, and Belichick came up to him and said, "The next two days you're not throwing to Dion Branch." And it was like a young Tom Brady he was like no I'm at he's like what do you mean and then he realized and he was like he wants me to spread the ball around so yeah. for two days he didn't throw it to Dion Branch Dion led the team in receiving right. but the number two guy had like 65 right. and he spread it around right. and yeah no one is bigger than the cog and the only thing that matters is the quarterback but I bet you if Belichick could limit the amount of snaps that Brady had on a regular basis yeah. he would make it more even that way too but yeah, it, it is a very confusing notion of how we see things as fact and people still can't get it through their heads. Yeah, whatever. Um, did you see anything on film from the games on Saturday, Falcons, Seahawks, um, and yeah, Patriots, Texans? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing to me with the Falcons, Seahawks, I mean, the Falcons dominated that game and really could have put the game away a lot earlier. Uh, their offense is unstoppable. It's an unstoppable force. And that's what really scares me about the NFC Championship game. Because Green Bay's defense stinks. It stinks. Like so, that second half, we were watching it together, awful. Like I, We got mad kind of too because I, I think at points we were we were like, oh, I wish they would run the ball a little bit with Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, but, but then you went back and looked the film. And you couldn't. People were wide open. I mean, as wide open as any game in the whole year that I've watched. How Dom Capers is still putting Gunter in man-to-man situations in the playoffs is insane. And now you're going up against – I bet you who he's going to be man-to-man on Julio at least I, five I mean, times. I'm sure there'll be a few times. Yes, they have seemed to have no fear of Odell Beckham Jr. for a few plays or uh, Des Bryant last week. So, I mean, once you – you go stupid you might as well just be stupid three weeks in a row I don't know what the point is but yeah they, they're gonna have to figure something out because it was just way too easy huge holes uh their defense is a little concerning to me against that Atlanta offense that is truly unstoppable there's just it, the, the one thing I think that Atlanta and New England have an advantage over the other two teams in this matchup more than anything is they make you play four quarters people think they can play four quarters of football like, they think it. Like, oh, it sounds cool. But first of all, do you have the depth and personnel to do it? And do you have the right offense to continually attack? And that is the one thing I look at at New England and Atlanta. It's pedal to the metal on one side of the ball the yes. whole time. And it's constant, oh, gosh, we got to keep up with Brady, changing plays, changing formations. Oh, it's Matt Ryan run left. It's a deep throw to Julio over ahead this way. I'm realizing this now. This has been the Sims and Lefko football season. 
So this has been the two guys that we've been talking about for three years, Josh McDaniels and Kyle Shanahan, <laughs> yeah. leading two of the best offenses in the NFL, both up for head coaching jobs, both getting ready to go. We have always talked about Aaron Rodgers being the best. He is showing that. And Pittsburgh is the team that every year you pick them to go to the Super Bowl before the season. I did. You did. I actually got three out of the four championship games. Before right. the year, Sims picked Steelers, Patriots, Falcons. I, and I know I picked Panthers, Packers. Panthers, Packers. So yeah. you picked a team from the NFC South. Yeah, I did. But, uh, yeah, it's – all right, what about the other game? What did you see? Patriots, Texans. I know, Texans. I went all over the place no, there. No, 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 you covered it. But Texans, you saw a new strategy of attacking I the did. Patriots. I thought the Texans, uh, their defensive scheme and obvious passing situations to put, like, Clowney and Merciless over the center guard combination, David Andrews and the rookie Joe Thune at left guard – they really struggled. I mean, that's why that's, we were all sitting there. You've been all year. They've been both of them phenomenal. I, w- I would say Andrews is in the conversation for one of the best centers in football. And we were sitting there watching it. I mean, we were all together, and we were going, man, they're kind of getting after Brady. And uh, first of all, Romeo knows that the New England makes a big deal probably about clearing out the front of the pocket yes. so Brady can step up, and now it becomes seven-on-seven. Seven. That's like what New England would always talk about. Let's make it seven-on-seven seven practice mm. for Tom. You know, we'll, we'll move the middle, and now he can just see clearly down the field, and he'll make the right decision and the right throw, and we'll just be a machine. They didn't let that happen, so that certainly threw some wrinkles. How did uh, the Patriots solve that? The Patriots, the, and this is, I think, the biggest thing, and I think we're going to do a video on this tomorrow, you and I. The Patriots came out in the third quarter – and I really think this is when the Patriots are their best, when they go traditional. Old-school Patriots, fullback, LeGarrette Blunt at tailback, Martellus, and then you got Edelman on the outside with either a Hogan or a Michael Floyd on the outside. First thing it does, and I think this will come in handy for this week, when you get into sets like this, and I know you and I have talked about this before, Lefko, when you get into those running sets, defensive coordinators that are creative – they get very concerned about doing creative, crazy things at the line of scrimmage. Because they don't want to do a stunt on the left and you run at it and everybody's out of Right, position. like a Nate Solder blocks one guy down, he takes three guys out of the yes. way, and all of a sudden LeGarrette Blunt's running through a hole the size of a truck, right? <sighs> so that's where, like, even in my history of playing quarterback, Gruden, that's what Gruden would always say. Let's get into some big, heavy run sets. That'll calm their ass down. Mm. They won't be as creative up front. They're not going to stand up linebackers in the A-gab, do all those things. But that's when they're at their best because of the run game, because of the way Brady's throwing the ball down the field. Yeah. And they got weapons on the outside, and, it, and it, it brings in Martellus Bennett to the mix, where when they got into the shotgun stuff, you know, Pittsburgh, Houston, they do a lot of creative things. It just can be too confusing sometimes, and they know some of the things Man, you like to do in those Houston formations. Houston had them, dude. They had, they, I mean, Brady was throwing up lucky ducks to survive that first half. It was their chance. I mean, they, they had a chance. There's no doubt. If they, have a, if they have a quarterback in the top 20 in football, that game would probably come down to the very end. There's no doubt. Because that, like we've been saying for the last four or five weeks, Houston's defense is special. They are special. They can almost win games by themselves. That's how good they are. Yeah. Uh, but that was my big takeaway from that game. And then my other thing just at I New don't England, see anyone else in the playoffs right now that could do that to the Patriots. No, the Steelers I don't, don't have. I mean, what do they put? Bud Dupree and James Harrison. I don't right. think they're big enough. Clowney is a special guy. I look at the Packers. I, maybe Mike Daniels. Maybe Latroy Guillen. I look at the Falcons. They don't have the no, guys. No, you're going to have to win a shootout against the Patriots. I think and that's the Falcons. Much the, the Falcons are probably most equipped to do so. Agreed. I don't know if the Packers now are. Now, the Steelers can do some of that. Bud Dupree, Shazier over the center guard in those situations. But what I get scared of, and I just know New England, and let's just think about two years ago when they opened up the season. The, the one issue I always look at at Pittsburgh, and you've heard me say this, is depth on the front seven. 
And when New England sees lack of depth on the front seven, they go, Tommy, let's get up to the line of scrimmage and run 9 million plays at Stephon Tuitt and Javon Hargrave. So they can't play four quarters. Yes. And now they're dead. And now, oh, this is why New England pulls away in the fourth quarter and they win by 10 or 17 yeah. every week because of the stuff they've done to you the quor three quarters before that that have worn you out and broke your will. That is what scares me. But – Le'Veon Bell and that run game could be the savior. And I'm not sold that they can run the ball like that on New England. There's, I watched it and go, I think they can. But New England does got some big dudes. I mean, Branch and Brown are playing good football. Yeah. Ninkovich uh, is getting back to right. where he was. High towers, and then piece. all those other guys—the Van Noys, the Shea McClellans—right, like they acquire all these big athletes. That even if they don't think they're great, they're getting eight snaps out of them. They are. They're doing the little bit of pieces of the, four of them have made up a full Jamie Collins. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and four of them aren't <laughs> going to be near the salary that he gets. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. What else were you saying that you you started about the Patriots? Uh, the Patriots. The other thing, I, I think, I, I think that was what I was going to tell you there is just their uh, their offensive approach. I think they're best when yeah. they get in that twenty one personnel, uh, especially with the way Brady throws the ball down the field this year. It's made them a different animal. So mm. why not take advantage of maybe them? You want to run the ball, be balanced. They can control the clock a little. Bit, they can wear them out. And of course, I don't think Pittsburgh can play man to man on those receivers. They don't like to play man to man. It is, and it scares me with how many open. receivers receivers Kansas City had last week. That's what scares me. And it also scares and it me. It ain't that Alex Smith. This it also Tom scares Brady. me that Big Ben didn't play well again. Yeah. He doesn't play well on the road. But it's one of those things where, hey, they got the win with six field goals. Yes. And Le'Veon Bell with like 170 yards rushing. Right. And Ben's biggest throw, he looked at Brown for eight seconds. Well, that was the one he had, what, one-on-one downfield with Justin Houston covering him man-to-man? -man. I still can't figure out what they were trying to do there. I looked at that play over and over. I don't know if Eric Berry was supposed to go over and help out. Oh, and that double. play too, yeah. You know the one I'm thinking about? Yeah. It was in the first half. I mean, it was Antonio Brown one-on-one -on -one downfield with Justin Houston, 45 <laughs> yards downfield. <laughs> and he underthrew him. And he did. He underthrew him. Do we get some Twitter questions in? Ooh. Oh! Hey, you hey do thanks. Some, I was muted. Thanks. You want to do some Twitter questions? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, D Brills at Brilliant2552. He wants to know Do you believe the Falcons would provide a formidable challenge to the Patriots in a Super Bowl matchup? I do. I mean, I, you heard Lefko just say it. I agree with Lefko. I think they're the most well equipped team to be in a shootout. And maybe win that game. Now, New England's defense is definitely better than Atlanta's, but, um, you know. Honestly, I, I would probably say whose offense is better. I'm going to say Atlanta's offense is better than New England. And that's a lot to say with Tom Brady over there and what yeah. they've done. But Atlanta right now, just their running game, those two backs, their pass game, run game threat they have, and then Julio, it's a, it's a pretty unstoppable force. So they would be a team, yeah, I think they could at least make it a really exciting Super Bowl. They're 51. balanced, they have depth, yes. and they have, they have athletes on the defense. Yes. And I think that's, that's when I look at, at some of the teams. Like Kansas City has athletes, but some of them were banged up. And, I, man, they, they got some guys. They do. Zach Marin at Zach Marin. I think I know how you're going to answer this one, but I'll ask it anyway because he brought it up on Twitter. Which secondary will struggle more against the opposing quarterback, Atlanta or Green <sighs> Bay? Man, uh, oh, well, it's going to be Green Bay. Green Bay's, I mean, their secondary, I, I wrote in my notes after watching the game, I said, really, the only elite player in their back seven is Ha Ha Clinton Dix. And I'll say this too. You might find this shocking, Lefko. But I wrote, 
They need to play 95 Jones and 53 Perry more. They are better than 52 and 56, which is Clay Matthews and Peppers. Time out. How are they not playing more? Nick Perry has had a sack in every game he's played. Well, ever since he's had the damn club. And Dayton Jones is maybe the most athletic guy they got on that D-line. Clay Matthews has been a shell of himself this year. And Julius Peppers is a glorified five-tech. I I mean, you're exactly right. It's It's, uh, it's, it gets really frustrating when you see it and I see it and the coaches don't see I it. I don't know what their game plan was against the Cowboys. I really don't. They didn't ever got big like it's we talked about. It's the same game plan every week, Sims. Man. Hey, Rodgers, save my <laughs> ass and keep me employed. <laughs> Seriously, it's unreal, man. Some of the throws in that game from Aaron Rodgers. Holy sh**. I mean, holy sh**. I got to say it one more time. Holy sh**. You saw me do my impersonation before, right? When he, what was I saying? I mean, just look at the I'm highlights here, this I'm week. Yeah, right. The highlights. I've been getting a kick out of the highlights the last few days because it's like Ryan versus Rogers, and every highlight they show a Matt Ryan. He's throwing to a guy. You Why don't see don't? a defender in the screen. Yeah, I know. And then the and I'm saying and I was doing the Josh like around the wall. I was going, this is like what Aaron Rodgers sees every like. Hey, Aaron, I'm open. Like hiding, like behind hiding a behind wall. a wall. Like here, there's there's an inch of me. Can you hit me? And he hits it. And like that's what their highlights look like too. Uh, it, it's amazing. Some of the throws he well, made so on the So when run. you see that, what's more sustainable? Do you think that the guys will continue to be open for Atlanta, or do you think Aaron Rodgers will continue to be Aaron Rodgers? Well, <laughs> I think Aaron Rodgers will continue to be Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but, I mean, every single man has their limit to a degree, and this just might be the week where I don't know if he can keep pace. And you know what my biggest fear is? Mm. More, my biggest fear is this. I, I'm a little scared of Green Bay to get in the Super Bowl. I really am. Because I'm scared of Elway in the 80s. A team like the Denver Broncos in the 80s that had no business being in the Super Bowl, but their quarterback was so amazing and so physically out of this world that he could carry a team to the Super Bowl to only get there to play against a team that's totally overpowering of them and, and then it's out of match. And then it becomes like a perceived weakness that he can't win. Right. Meanwhile, like you said, they had no like Peyton Manning for a number if of you, those years. Was, yes, some it of those was years. all Peyton. Right. They were a two seed or a one seed and they were fourteen and two when you go, no, they were really like a ten and six team, but Peyton Manning was so amazing, and now they got upset in the first round because they were a one seed when you just go, no, they weren't really that good. It was just Peyton Manning was amazing. I mean look, Aaron Rodgers when he played Atlanta earlier this year had a 74% completion percentage. He threw for 246. He threw four touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah. His inter- his quarterback rating was 126, and he led the team in rushing with 60 yards, and they lost by a point. Yep. I don't know how much better he's going to do. And, and I mean, the team led up 33 points. Yeah. He put up 32 by himself. He led the team in rushing. He threw four touchdowns and no picks, and they still lost by one. Yeah, This scary. might be the team that I don't know if he can. I know. That's what scares me. And with no Jordy, like if they had a Jordy in it, I'd go, Ooh, maybe they can win like a 42-41, 38-36 type of game. But I'm just not sold on that. Now, you know, they got Jared Cook in this now, which they didn't have back then. So that's interesting. And I do think that Atlanta, with all their speed up front, this is like the worst O-line for them because this O-line is extremely athletic. Of course, we've always talked about it. They're just great pass protectors. So they're not going to be overwhelmed by the speed of Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, let, let me just say this right now. Say it. We watch the Steelers every week. Yes. And every time we watch the Packers, we hear the announcers gush over the offensive line that protects Aaron Rodgers. And we don't think the Steelers' offensive line gets enough credit ever as being 
either the second or third best offensive line. Dallas is always the number one. Yep. And we believe, and mainly you, you always say this, Green Bay and Pittsburgh are two and three. I yeah. think Collinsworth opened the game and mentioned it right off the bat on Sunday, yeah. right? Did he? Yeah. I think he did. Well, I, I think so. Pittsburgh's yeah. better than Green Bay just because Green Bay's not a great run offensive line. They are built to be really good for the pass protection. And when you watch Pittsburgh offensive line on oh. Sunday, just look at how huge all of those men are. And when we were watching the game, you kept going. I mean, they've all pulled. We just started the second quarter, and they're all pulling. Yeah. The left tackle's pulling. The right tackle's pulling. The, the center's, center's pulling. pulling. Right. And you're looking around, and you're like, do you know how hard it is to find five guys that are not only pushers and holders, right. but can also pull? It's That's amazing. like a rare beast. It's amazing. Before it's a unicorn. Pas- before the pastrami sandwich ruined my night, I do remember seeing that on the TV. Yes. <laughs> Don't remember much else about this that This is game. one other thing I'll just throw into a caveat if we get the Atlanta-New England Super Bowl. A little caveat. A little caveat. caveat. Just my football historian came out in me. You know, like how you guys heard me say on Saturday, like I, I legitimately think Pete Carroll is shit scared of Kyle Shanahan and that offense. Like he, they go down the field and he looks over at their offense like, what the f*** was that that just went down the field on us on a blur? I do think that Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots historically have had issues with Mike Shanahan and their offense and that run game and those things they do there. I think it's just an interesting thing to look out for if that does end up being the Do Super you Bowl think matchup. Belichick would be so much of a psycho that not only does he watch every game that Kyle Shanahan's done, but he's also going back and looking at Mike Shanahan's stuff? I mean, stuff? he's psycho where he might go look back and go, man, let me see a defense that maybe stopped Mike Shanahan in that run game one week and see if I can steal a scheme or two from them. He's going back to like 92. 95. <laughs> right. <laughs> he freaking would. He is a life. You know, the, the Steelers, and we talk about teams like doing something on defense. The Steelers got big in the game a few times. I didn't even realize watching it on TV, but the, the, the Chiefs, a few times they tried to get in some power run sets, and they got big. They played like a true 4-3 where they put Stephon Tewitt at defensive end. Uh, and then they had Ladarius Walton, 96, and Hargrave, 79, as their D tackles, would do pre as the other DN, and then they stood up Timmons, Shazier, and Harrison. That's but a lot of big dudes. That's what I mean. That's a lot of big dudes with some athleticism thrown in there. Man, this, te- this defense has changed when Dupree came back. It has. Dupree it, it really a- added a guy to set the edge, yes. which uh, I know we're bouncing all over the place, but I'm enjoying the discussion. I don't know if the Packers set the edge one time in that game. It drives me freaking crazy. I don't even know what to say about it. I just, the I, amount of I, times that Zeke had the outside run. Man, I know. And, and I know that you said that they, they had to pass the ball. But they did leave Aaron Rodgers 35 seconds, Ooh, and they didn't run the ball, and they did spike it on first down. They shouldn't have spiked it. Your impression of Clowney as the Incredible Hulk setting the edge against the triple team was probably like that. Yeah, there was I've the one the run to the, to the left side, and Jadavian Clowney blows up two guys, and Sims is like, rawr, and he eats the cornerback. I mean, and then everyone's like, man, what a great tackle by that other linebacker. It's yeah, like, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because Cl- Clowney just was an atom bomb on the left side. Because Clowney line. knows, like New England, like literally – Set the edge is the number one rule. So if you screw that up, like that's probably half the reason Chandler Jones got his ass out of New England because they were so sick of him diving inside or doing something like that. It's interesting. Uh, I saw Vrabel got promoted to D.C. of Houston, and that's just to protect him, to keep him around. Yes, it is. But, man. That's a smart move because now Romeo will stay in, I'm sure, as like assistant. Let me me get one more. Do you have another Twitter question? Yeah, I can give you one more Twitter question. Let me do one more, and then I want to talk about one more thing, and then we'll make game picks. Jason A. Nero at Jason underscore A underscore Nero. He asks, can the Steelers linebackers slow down the Pats' short passing game? What aspect of the Steelers' offense does Belichick try to take away? Uh, yeah. Was Shazier as impactful as you thought he would be? Yeah, their speed was impactful, I think, nonetheless. It wasn't always Shazier, but... Bud. 
but, James. Right. Their, their ability to not let Tyreek turn the corner a few times where I even wrote in my notes, I said, man, other teams, he might have broke this. Even Kelsey early on so had a So to his play. question, the Patriots' short passing game, how do those linebackers normally do in space they, like that? They match up tremendously well. Like I, I don't think that's the, the physical part of it is going to be the issue. It's just going to be the schematical part yeah. of it. That's where it's going to become really tricky. And, and I do think if they can get them in some obvious situations where it's third and seven, like Pittsburgh can put five linebackers on the field and have them standing all over the place and you don't know who's coming, who's dropping. That's where it could get really interesting to where Brady might get a little confused and just go, you know, what, I'm going to throw to Edelman over the middle or Deion Lewis over in the flat. And those guys can rally and make the tackle. What was the second part of his question? Uh, which aspect of the Steelers' offense does Belichick try to take away? Well, I, I, is he just doubling up Antonio Brown? I would think so. I don't know. I mean, you. I don't know. Did what we see Peters on Antonio Brown? No, not really. No. So annoying. I know. Drives me crazy. Um, but no. But we got Justin Houston on Antonio Brown. <laughs> I'm gonna take this X. I'm make a line, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a thing. And Justin Houston, you got Antonio Brown, right? Yeah, hey, right. It got him. It works on paper. Uh, but you know what? I don't think Kansas City had any long touchdowns. No, they did and not. That's exactly what we talked about. Yes, I mean we said it when we were watching it together. The first time Kelsey broke a deep crossing route, they tackled him at the 19, and we yeah. said, "Up, oh, they're not going to score." No, they, they did with Macklin. I think they did. It yeah. was that but it drive. was only the first drive, right? Uh, okay, so it looks like your best friend, Kyle Shanahan, is going to be the head coach of the 49ers. So I'm going to do news reporting 101. Chris. I'm going to be with the 49ers next week. Can you guys come out there for the podcast? Are you <laughs> going to be a coach or a front office person with the Niners? I, I don't anticipate that. Okay. Kyle has asked me questions like, would you like me to – hold a spot would you like somewhere to work is he definitely going there i think the chances are very likely someone did ask this on twitter by the way someone yeah. tweeted us and asked sims can you come coach the qbs uh, i mean it's very likely now kyle doesn't think i can be the quarterback coach he doesn't <laughs> think i'll be able to deal with his wrath of like bossing me around so yeah at, sims at, thinks that he would step to kyle <laughs> and kyle would be like all right don't, don't punch me right uh back to our college days of like when i used to put him in a headlock but the uh uh, the front office thing and maybe being a help as far as evaluating players and finding the players that fit his scheme is interesting. And also it being in San Francisco, I don't want to leave the New York area, but that's not a horrible place. Yeah. So I will at least think about it. Um, is it going to be weird covering him now? Because like the OC, it's kind of like schematics and execution, but now it's like overall. And it's a very interesting situation. It is. I think that Kyle is actually entering the best head coaching situation from this standpoint. They are forced to give him a long-term chance. Yes. There is no other job with more security right now in terms of new jobs in the 49ers after what happened with Tom Sula and Chip Kelly. The only thing that scares me is you have Jed York interviewing people, then you have Jed York's mom interviewing people like Tom Cable, yep. and I really am afraid of that upper-tier management. Sure. It doesn't sound sound. It doesn't, but I think they know that. But he's going to be. Right. Let's say this out loud. Yeah. The head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Yep. He will be sitting in a chair that was once sit in by Bill Walsh. Yeah. Obviously, there's new buildings. It's probably a different chair. <laughs> but spiritually, right. Bill Walsh and Kyle Shanahan on the same list. Listen, he's, it, yeah, I think you hit it right. And he's going to get to call his shots, and that's a big thing this day and age in the NFL. And he's going to get to hire his own D coordinator, hire a GM. I think, honestly, you know, I love Josh McDaniels too, but I just think 
Kyle or Josh, they couldn't have gone wrong. I think Josh. Uh, I think Kyle is the perfect guy for this job. I really Why? do because I just think Kyle has a true understanding of what he wants on the offensive side of the ball and the players he wants, and his scheme is awesome. And I think he has an overall understanding of what he wants on defense as well. And if he can pick the GM and have that conversation to where on the, they're on the same page, uh, I, I think I just think he has little, the eye of the Isn't that a little weird talent. that the new coach is picking the GM? It is. Do think, you think Jed was freaking out because he didn't get Josh? Uh, I don't think he was freaking out. I think this was part of his the his offer checklist. either way, gotcha. no matter who got it, if it was Josh or Kyle. Who do you think he would want as a D.C.? That's a good question. The first guy I thought of, honestly, was Vic Fangio, who was in San Francisco uh, yeah. and now is in Chicago. I don't know how that would work, but that's where my my head went there. Well, right I saw away. like Gus Bradley like pulled out, and I've seen like some other DCs or, or not. It'll be interesting. It's a team that's really built on 3-4 personnel, so you're going to have to take that into account. Right, because of all the Arik Armsteads. Um, exactly. I wanted to say Debrickashaw Ferguson, but that's not his name. What is no, uh, it? DeForest Buckner. DeForest Thank Buckner, you. yeah. Um, <laughs> what does he do then with Colin Kaepernick, Blaine Gabbert? That's the uh, million-dollar question. and that's Because why I, I was sitting there, and I was talking to Nelson. I was like, you know, it's, it's not a bad situation. you got some talented defensive linemen. you got a, a cornerback, Robinson, that's pretty good. But they have an aging offensive line. They have no quarterback. They have no real talent at wide receiver. It's the worst roster in football other than Cleveland. I mean, hands down, it's the worst roster in football other than Cleveland. So he's going to have his work cut out for him if he decides to take it. He's taking it. So I hope so. <laughs> You're leaving. You're going to be gone. I don't know about that. All right. Well, I already told Sims that if he needs a team broadcaster or like a guy like the local news that's like, and now your San Francisco spotlight with head coach Kyle Shanahan and Adam Lefko. <laughs> hey, what's up, Kyle? Big time game plan last week. Want to go through a few plays. Let's talk about this 20-yard touchdown to Quentin Ben. God, those shows are so uh, stupid. Uh, all right, so you've already made your picks. I did. There you uh, go. What was my lead in the picks? Three? Yeah, you were up by three, and uh, unless you're picking different than Falcons-Patriots. Well, we both went three and one last week. You yep. did. You guys both uh, missed so the Chiefs. So thus far in the playoffs, Sims and Lefko, seven and one. Seven and one. Good job, The homie. only thing we've gotten wrong is Chiefs-Steelers, and I should have known. Um, let me go through my little cheat sheet. Uh, Rich Kalachi hit me up and said, man, those those stats that you were talking about on the podcast with time of possession red zone, it really did kind of prove itself to be right. Yes. Um, so I look at this now. I'll make my picks. I'll, I'll do a little who wants to be a millionaire. Uh, so it's New England Pitt. Uh, New England is better than them in almost every category except Pittsburgh protects their quarterback better. Uh, they're better in the red zone on defense, but the gaps are so small. Yes. Uh, and then – Pittsburgh actually gets after the quarterback more. I'm just not picking against New England. I asked Sims, hey, what do you think the line is in the game? And he said 10. And the actual answer right now is 6. So you think New England wins this one big? Unless Le'Veon Bell does to the Chiefs what it does to the Patriots. That's what I mean. I I think if Le'Veon Bell runs for 110, 115, the New England Patriots still win. But if he goes for 150, it's a different game. So if you're Belichick, do you – Double team Brown, or do you load up the box against Bell? Man, I you know it's it's a hard thing to say there because you do have Big Ben, his ability to throw the ball down the field. I think he's going to find creative ways to double Brown in obvious situations. I think his run game defense and his and his antennas will be to stop the run game, and every now and then he's going to just roll the dice and say, Malcolm Butler, you got a B one on one, right? Which will be a good matchup. 
He covered him really well. He covered him well well in that commercial. In the first game around, he covered him really well, too. Antonio had a few catches that weren't on on Malcolm. He did get Malcolm once or twice, but I want to be like, you know, you're not going to sit there and cover Antonio all game long like glue. It's just not possible. Uh, so, but he is certainly capable of doing that. Uh, in terms of Atlanta and Green Bay, uh, I look at this and it's man, it's really interesting. Green Bay is bigger in a lot of categories. They're uh, the fifth in time of possession. Atlanta's 18th. Uh, they're ninth and tenth in red zone offense. Um, in terms of red zone defense, Green Bay is last in the NFL. Atlanta's 28th. So they're both weak when it comes to the red zone on defense. Time of possession not as crucial in this matchup, just because Atlanta's time of possession is because they go down the field and score so quick. Exactly. Right. And Green Bay's time of possession is because they don't want the defense back on the field. <laughs> right. Uh, sacks per pass attempt. Green Bay is 13th best in the NFC uh, for the the last four teams. Atlanta's 24. Fourth, and then sacks per pass attempts defense. Atlanta's 26, the worst in the NFC of the four teams that were left. Yep. And Green Bay is seventh. Uh, I'm going with Green Bay. Okay. Uh, you're going with Atlanta, right? I'm going with Atlanta. So you're going Patriots, Falcons. I'm going Patriots, Packers. Um, I absolutely can see it. I just. Um, I, I don't want to bet against the Packers. And I saw that there was actually a guy in Vegas that, starting with the Eagles game, bet on the Packers and every week has taken whatever he's won and put it back on the Packers. He is now up to $70,000, and he's letting it ride on the Packers every single week. Now, I hope he takes some of that out, but he might be having $70,000 in the Packers this weekend. It should be interesting. But um, do you think they're both close? I do. I do think they're both close. I, I, I don't think – I mean, the New England game, you know, New England's Have you England's done tough. your score predictions yet? I have not done my score predictions yet, but I think the New England game's close and New England pulls away late. Now, what that means, pull away, I don't know. I think it could be like a, you know, 23-20 type game and then they score a late touchdown to maybe win 30-20, to 20, something mm. like that, where I look at Atlanta – I almost want to say if the game's close, I think Green Bay wins. If Atlanta wins, they're going to win by, like, 14. Atlanta is favored right now by four and a half. The line started at four. New England is favored by six. Okay. So if you were a betting man, you're looking at New England and then maybe one of the other games. Yeah, the other one's tough. I mean, I don't know what I'd do with that one. It's really tough. It is tough. What are you thinking, Fedrick? Let me get your picks. I'm going Packers-Patriots. Typical white guy. Typical white guy. I mean, listen, (laughs) what did you guys expect from me? (laughs) I'm not picking against Aaron Rodgers. That's what you picked. So be, before the year. That's my high-level analysis. Before the year, did you pick Steelers-Packers? I did. You're crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then before the playoffs, you picked Packers-Patriots. Right. But the last two weeks have scared me. With the, uh, last week really scared me. Watching the film of Green Bay's defense against Dallas was really scary. I, I'm Mike. I'm actually amazed with how bad it was. It was literally – Dak Prescott throwing to people with nobody around his receivers, and then Aaron Rodgers literally having to throw balls like whizzing by Dallas def- defensive guys' heads, like and going, "Oh, yeah, he caught it! Oh my gosh, it went right through! I heard it!" I mean, it was just it was it's one guy versus a team, and this is where I just think maybe the buck stops and the team wins. I could see it. Yeah, um, is that the Super Bowl you're hoping for? Man, I kind of want Rodgers and Brady, just like every football fan there is. I mean, I'm rooting for my friend Kyle. That's what I'm doing more than anything. But I'm, I would love to see Rodgers-Brady, but I told you my fears of that. I get scared that it could be like Niners, Niners-Broncos Super Bowl 24 and could be like 55 to 10 because it's just all on one guy. And if he has like three bad throws, the game's over. It's over. Like it'll be over before the end of the second quarter. It is incredible. 
what Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, they create so much and they become victims of their success. That, and that deserves to be talked about too. Just Maybe that's your rant off. on Sunday. Well, just Russell Wilson. I just, even when we watched it all together, he was way more amazing on film than I thought. Really? I just, yeah, just, I forgot how many times he got himself out of trouble and made a nice run on second and nine or, yeah. or made a throw down the field as he was running 40 yards down the field. Remember my Aunt Wendy goes, oh, what a catch. And I said, Wendy, I mean, he just <laughs> stuck his hands up and it was there. <laughs> yeah. you know, it was kind of like what people were saying with Rodgers. I mean, Russell was pretty amazing. Love Aunt Wendy. Aunt sure, Wendy. She's nice Shout out. This has been dedicated to Aunt Wendy. Aunt Wendy. Uh, go on iTunes. Uh, please leave a review. That's how more people find out about the podcast. If you'd like to share it with your friends and family, please do. Uh, for all the people that have been hitting me up on Twitter and telling me how much they enjoy the podcast and how they're so happy they found it, uh, it has been our pleasure. We love doing it. Uh, we're almost up to 99, which is pretty awesome that we're getting to 100. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, for everyone out there, we will be doing this in the offseason. Uh, there's so many things, whether it's free agency, whether it's draft, because Sims is watching NBA. Uh, I know, and, and I'll be honest, once we get to the summer, I'm going to tell Paul, get us comedians, get us actors. We're going to do more of that stuff again, and we'll have more fun. And that's if you're not an employee of the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> San Francisco. I'm, I'm being serious. Okay, we'll see. Hire me. I asked my kids the if they wanted to move last night at dinner, and they yelled out no before I even answered the question. So ask the question. Uh, what's, what's really great is, did you hear one of the chickens got eaten by a hawk? Monday, Martin Luther King Day. Unbelievable. Walked outside, there was a hawk on top of one of the chickens. Yeah, Sims, is, Sims has chickens. Oh, no. And, uh, so you're down to one chicken? Down to one chicken. And apparently wow. he's, he ain't leaving the cage. Wow. He hasn't left the cage. I'm le- oh, I left the dead chicken out there. I'm letting the hawk finish his so meal. So this is so. the kind. So, f- so for everyone thinks Natural that, selection. Yes. So for the people that have asked me, is Sims really this much of a goof? Here is the kind of daddy is. I and then it's time this. to wrap this thing up. Yeah, he, he goes to Charlotte, his daughter. And he goes, he goes, it's okay. Philip's crying, and he goes, it's the circle of life. We're going to let this hawk eat this chicken. And now he's got a dead chicken in his backyard, and this hawk is just slowly pulling off meat from the bone, flying up to a branch, right, looking a around. Break, right. But he's teaching his kids the, the theory of loss, the theory of ta- understanding pain. You're a good yep. dad. Sure. Check out some Darwin books from the library. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. For Sims. Peace out, homies. For Fendra. Good night, everybody. We will talk to you in episode 99. 99.